Hello everyone, I'm Thomas from Daft Punk. Random access memories, Daft Punk. Daft Punk and Thomas Angui from Daft Punk. There you go, Daft Punk. We assume that's Daft Punk under those helmets. Hello everyone, I'm Emmanuel from Daft Punk. Daft Punk mixes of Daft Punk. Daft Punk! Let's get back to the to Daft Punk. It was because of, you know, Daft Punk. Daft Punk. Daft Punkin! Daft Punkin! Welcome, robots, big and small, to a live 2021 a Daft Punk podcast. I'm Andy. I'm Darren. And I'm Devin. And we are three best friends from Detroit who are talking and thinking way too much about the best robot band in the world. You say way too much. I say not enough. Maybe not enough. Maybe maybe uh, uh, I'm not thinking enough about these guys. Some other robot bands. Um, the whatever band is in the Jetsons, obviously the Chuck E. Cheese, the Chuck E. Chuck Cheese. Cheese. That's any the, yeah, uh, any country, animatronic the country band. bears. Yeah, the country bears. The country bears. Those are some of the biggest, scariest robot musicians ever. I would assume some of the Star Wars Cantina folks. Oh yeah, they yeah. got to be some there robots is, in there. Uh, so um, they have they've talked about this in an interview where they, the moment they realized that they had gone from an influential band to like part of the cultural lexicon yeah. was when they were asked to be in that Nike Star Wars commercial in the early 2000s. Do you remember that? I don't remember. So around the time that George Lucas was bringing back Star Wars, yeah. they did a Nike commercial in the cantina um, band or in the cantina bar with the cantina. Like, bah, 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 da, da, da. Yeah. And fucking Daft Punk is just hanging out in the cantina band. Uh, they don't like make mention of it. It's just like two robots, and they're like they're just they're two like, of yeah, the robots we at were, the cantina. Like, That's we great. were part of like so. I guess that it's canon that uh, those two robots are in the they're Star They're part Wars of Mos Eisley Cantina or yeah. whatever. The hell. And uh, you know, to the audience listening out there, sound off. Send us an email if you think we should do a whole episode about the Gap commercial Daft Punk is yeah. in. Uh, yeah, should, should we, we do a two-hour episode? Because I will talk about it for two hours. A two-hour episode talking about how they look at Juliet Lewis and then Tom. Moss's helmet flashes the word girl in bright red letters. I think I could get a quote from Juliet Lewis. <laughs> you, you get it, yeah. I, I, could, I, I, could, one, I know the, somebody who's... At the very least, we could get one, a quote from one of the licks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would assume that that's one of their biggest regrets, <laughs> is, yeah. is putting head-to-toe denim on with the <laughs> robot masks and doing like weird, awkward dances with Juliet Lewis. It's not Lewis. that they did the Gap commercial. It's just that they put on head-to-toe denim. <laughs> they are... They are all, like, I... I if for uh, for the first time in my life uh, I have a denim jacket because I got those Daft Punk patches. Yeah, and I've been saw the Gap commercial. I've been very very uh, careful not to wear that with also jeans because I think from the get go we've realized that that's not a good look. It's only a good look if it's absolutely intentional, and you you know that yeah. people are looking at you because you're. You're looking back yeah. at them with now, that, black, yeah, I'm doing it. Black jeans and a denim jacket, incredible powerful Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> blue <laughs> jeans and a blue denim jeans, jacket, blue you're denim in trouble. Jacket. You're in trouble, and that's where Daft Punk found themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging out with a, an also head-to-toe clad denim, Juliette Lewis. I don't want to fuel the rumor mill, but a lot of people are saying that's why they broke up. <laughs> that's <laughs> so there's they, two, they thought about it there for are a while. Two, there are two main rumors of, of them <laughs> being... Uh, in a project uh, uh, where there, there's like a conspiracy that it's not really them. Right. And it's that commercial and then the time that they played the Grammys with Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like this whole rumor that they're like, 
yeah, Kanye, we'll be there. And they just hired two schlubs to go put the helmets I like, on. Uh, God rest his soul. Um, I don't think it's true. I think it was really them, but that's that's always been a rumor. Right. MF Doom is no longer with us, but he he would do that. Like, he wore the mask, right? He had the right. And he would just send imposters. He's like, my main thing is being a villain, so that is yeah. something I would it do. Is, it is short for mother's favorite, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mother's favorite Doom. <laughs> yeah, mother's mother's declared me your favorite Doom. Uh, we got some uh, some great uh, fanfare again this week. Awesome. Uh, we had a fan, uh, Ryan Fust, I, I think. I hope I pronounced your last name right. Let us know he's been listening and is a big fan. And he wants our help. I don't – I cannot help him. I, I did some light searching online. I, I, I Ryan, I should have given you some more help. But I didn't. Uh, but I, I couldn't find anything. But maybe one of our listeners can. He says about five years ago he bought Discovery on vinyl, and he was overjoyed when it was delivered and immediately threw the baby on the turntable. When it was time to uh, flip the record over, I was shocked to hear one more time again. The A side printed it on both sides. All I could find out was that the this it was a thing. There are there are at least a handful of them out there, and. It replaces harder, better, faster, stronger. It's just not uh, like that song is just not on the record. Listeners, if you are out there and you know anything about this print, if it's worth something, because like shit, like with a mistake on it is oftentimes worth a lot of money. A lot, yeah. Um, so if this is like a rare issue, uh, if this is something that you know about, please email me at info at alive2021.com because I would love to be able to message Ryan here back and say, dude, you are a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm assuming that this Ryan is is uh, Ryan of of Dead Waves, a paranormal, oh, okay. uh, improvised paranormal podcast. Yeah, I, I've been a guest on that show. Oh, great. Uh, so that's awesome. Yeah, shout out, shout yeah. out to uh, Dead Waves. Uh, then I, yeah, uh, uh, then I would especially look as another another Detroit person doing some. Uh, some stuff out there, Dead Waves Radio. I could be totally wrong. It could be a different Ryan with the same name, though. That could be it too. But also, still shout out Dead Waves. Shout out, a, <laughs> shout out another. If I would, if it is Ryan from Dead Waves, I would even more like to uh, shower him with riches. So, if you know anything about this discovery misprint, let us know because uh, we could. Um, we could make Ryan a lot of money. Yeah, we get five percent. That's, <laughs> yes, that's canon yes, here yeah, on Alive Twenty Twenty. If we find canon. you money in your stuff you have to pay us five percent <laughs> if you sell it or five percent of kisses <laughs> one, or the, one or the other uh, the other thing that happened this week five percent of a kiss me oh <laughs> buddy just a little tiny yeah, bit of you a gotta kiss. ask you'll never yeah. know <laughs> you gotta ask what five percent of a kiss is you'll never know <laughs> it's um, uh, i will tell you this it only involves tongue <laughs> nothing else that's not the five percent that's not the five percent you'd think but that's all that there is um the other thing that happened was uh, our friends now at Veritas Quo Design yeah. sent us some uh, some swag. Right. Uh, um, the day that the boys broke up, I was wrecked, and I'd been looking at they have a, like a back size patch, uh, like a like the size of your back of the Daft Punk logo, and it's split up in colors from every uh, album. And uh, I've I've been looking at it for a while, and I thought like. If if not the day they break up, then when? So I made myself a jean jacket with their stuff, and uh, we've been communicating back and forth on uh, Instagram. They sent us some free pins. They said they'd love yeah. what they're, we're doing. They're listening. They've heard from a lot of other fans that are listening. Yeah. And I just wanted to say thank you thank so much you so for much. some beautiful the pins. pins. Are 
incredible. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. They there have some is, great stuff. We uh, we got together uh, on Saturday to uh, to check out this uh, Live ninety seven album uh, together, and we got to wear our uh, VIP Alive two thousand seven pins yeah, yeah. to yeah. our uh, our homemade Alive nineteen ninety seven show that yeah. we did. So that was pretty damn cool. Um, yeah, they have awesome pins, awesome patches. VeritasQuoDesign.com. Uh, uh, also, if you uh, if you guys want to see pictures of the stuff they sent us, uh, it's we 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 posted and shared uh, on our Instagram and on our other social media pages too. We're just uh, at Alive Twenty Twenty One and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so thank you, and yeah, if you're a fan of Daft Punk, uh, those are some of the, like the coolest pins I've seen anywhere. Yeah, is their stuff. So check it out. You do damn good work. Damn good work. What if they did? What if? Like, what, what, if? If? what if? What if? Would it be crazy? What would it be crazy if they did an Alive 2021 pin? Hey, would it be crazy? Would it be crazy? Wow, I think that would be the craziest thing I've ever idea. seen. They have they have all their cool work. They have one un-Daft Punk pin, and it was it's a Gasafelstein pin because the pe- whoever yeah. runs Virus Quo went and saw him, and they were like, this is – like the coolest thing we've seen since Daft Punk. So they, they have like an, its own separate Gasafelstein pin, which makes me a little bitter because we had tickets to what are see. Two, what are the two concerts that we had tickets to that we didn't get to go to? Gasafelstein and third row tickets to Kraftwerk. 3D Kraftwerk. Third <gasps> row. So yeah, that like uh, we've, uh, I'm sure we, everybody listening, all music lovers have stuff that they couldn't see. We didn't get to see Gasafelstein live and then third row tickets to to craft work at the Masonic Temple. We missed oh, out on. So ugh. Ugh. someday someday uh, it'll all come back and we'll we'll get to see it. The, cra- the especially craft work, that's what I'm worried about cuz those guys are Yeah, one of the well, one, one of the he was not in the band anymore, but one of the original members has passed in the last year. Yeah. Um, but they do. The, the to their credit, they seem like still, some sturdy guys. Yeah, they do. They, yeah. They say, when I see them up there standing at the podiums doing their little beeps and boops, they're some sturdy fellas. Yeah, they're, they're I mean, they're stout and they're half robots. <laughs> they, I, what, what an incredible thing to be in your mid seventies and still be like, yeah, I'm going to wear a head to toe Tron. Like they, what they wear on stage looks like they're stepping out of the movie Tron. And they're like, yeah, I'm in my seventies. I'm going to wear this yeah. like yeah. body suit. On There's stage. a bar in Hamtramck that no longer exists anymore that in the late nineties and early two thousands, they would hang out at after yeah. every show. Cause it was the dance club. They, they, uh, Kraftwerk loves Detroit. If anybody here loves Daft Punk listening and you don't know who Kraftwerk is, they, they invented a lot of stuff that became electronic music in the 60s and 70s and it's some really interesting cool stuff uh i've seen them a couple times and they love detroit like the last time i saw them at masonic temple we walked over to mocad after and they 70 year olds dj'd the after party hell yeah it was awesome it was like like the newer stuff they put out yeah like the remixes of the older tunes are like great yeah, dance tracks. They they just understand they, it, man. They a lot like Daft Punk have an incredibly long career, but not a lot of output. Yeah, they. I think more than Daft Punk, they are concerned with their uh, it, that what new music would do to their legacy. Yeah, I've heard that before. Like they don't they don't want to put out new music and have it s- somehow hinder what they've done Mm -hmm. so but but they they uh they're awesome go check them out uh and and listen to it knowing how long ago it was produced and be like holy shit 
Yeah. If you want a good, like, I'm, I'm always a fan of um, live electronic music albums and stuff. Like, we love, you know, we're talking about Live 97 this week. We love Alive 2007, the Simeon Mobile Disco album. Kraftwerk's concert DVDs are incredible. Yeah. They're perfect, like, let's put on a concert show. Yeah. Yeah. You guys want to get to it? Let's get into let's it. Let's talk about it, baby. All right. When stretched out, Daft Punk's total output may look a little paltry, but that is mostly due to kind of periods of dormancy in between projects. When the boys are motivated and they have a vision to accomplish, they pack a lot into a very short amount of time. Consider the Discovery era, in which the boys were simultaneously composing the most legendary record in the history of dance music, working with a famous Japanese filmmaker to turn that record into a stunning anime feature film, and designing their now iconic robot costumes all in the same time period. Uh, what the boys were most excited about during the homework era was the magic of live house music. Thus, they threw themselves into performing and traveling as much as possible. They went across the globe. They went around the world, <laughs> spinning their own tracks, while also incorporating local influences into wild DJ sets and live shows that put them on the map as one of the most exciting dance acts on the planet. This episode will obviously cover the 45-minute release of Live 2007, an excerpt from one of the boys' favorite performances on the Defender Act Tour, a whirlwind 75-show tour they completed in less than a year. But we're going to go deeper. We're going to explore their roots as a live act and what they were doing around this time. Uh, so the Coachella show in 2006 and the entire Live 2007 tour cemented their legacy as one of the best live acts of all time. But I don't know that we ever would have gotten there or if they would have ever gotten the chance to put that type of show up if they didn't prove themselves uh, as such raucous party animals with their live shows during the 90s. So let's get to it. As winter gave way to spring in 1994, a brightly colored flyer started popping up around Paris. The Alive Party. It screamed in hot pink text over highlighter yellow background. To celebrate the release of their first EP, Daft Punk will take you on a daft trip in the world of daft techno and daft house during a daft, sexy, thrilling night. Adjusted for inflation, tickets to this party would cost a little more than two U.S. dollars today. Ha! <laughs> uh, which, aha, uh -huh, you know? Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, see, even even hitting the a tour 14 years ago, they never they never got caught up in the wild ticket market that has come it, it come now mm -hmm. like you you could still see Daft Punk in 2007 and not put a mortgage on your house or yeah. whatever shit like that pisses me off right now like uh like the most famous socialist band of all time uh Rage Against the Machine uh, I, I looked up tickets when they, they – I think that's another tour that ended up getting canceled, right? Yeah. Uh, I looked up their tickets, and the cheapest ticket in their Detroit show in the new – red in the LC – or not the LC – the LC Walker Arena yeah. is, <laughs> is the Muskegon Hockey Arena. What I meant to say is the Little Caesars Pizza Arena in Detroit. <laughs> cheapest pizza ticket, arena? The Pizza Arena. It was like $300 yeah. to, see, uh, to see the socialists. Yeah. So what are the – I wonder what the logistics of putting on a big concert these days is because, you know, you have an arena. I don't know what LCA is, but what did the Joe, the Joe Lewis fit 12,000 people, right? And that was a big concert arena. Yeah. If Daft Punk wanted to play a tour, they would, you know, that would sell out in minutes. Yeah. So minutes. what does it mean? What would it mean to tour at that level? That's why they play festivals. Because yeah. how else do you play live shows? I, so yeah, I mean, the, I... the biggest racket right now 
is that before, even before tickets go on sale, to let's say something like some U two is going to play at the Ford Field, biggest place in Detroit, you know, eighty thousand people or whatever. Half, half or more of those tickets are bought by like quote unquote bought by the venue and and sold to somewhere like Ticketmaster or StubHub. Yeah. The venue itself is in partnership with StubHub and making that black market money off StubHub in Congress with the actual ticket sales. Yeah. So it's just such a fucking grift. And if you're out there listening to this, never buy Ticketmaster ever again if you can avoid it. Go to box offices because it's a total grift and it's uh, it's – Keeping people away from seeing live music. Um, so uh, boycott Ticketmaster is my <laughs> so That's how we got third row tickets to Kraftwerk. Yeah. Yeah. I got third row tickets to Kraftwerk because I went to Masonic Temple. And they – like Masonic Temple in Detroit, they hold tickets for people that come to the box office because they appreciate people not buying off Ticketmaster. Right. So this was the uh, – this was their first official show as – billed as Daft Punk. It was April 1st, 94 at the Blues du Nord Club in Paris. From there, Daft Punk would play 228 live shows and DJ sets before the release of Discovery, conquering France before building a huge UK audience and eventually touring the entire globe. Uh, so this it's hard to nail down exactly how many because this doesn't include um, DJ like solo DJ sets that Tomas would have done with Roulet or Guimon would have done with uh, Le Nightclub and Crydemore. Uh, but we'll talk more about um, those solo projects next week. There's also their hanging out in the rave scene so there's also probably just right. like some night at 4 a.m that tomas got up on the decks at some crazy under like you know there's no way of knowing anything about sets like that anymore um but uh of the official shows they have played under the name daft punk they were in high demand almost immediately their 23rd show together was an opening set uh opening for the chemical brothers like wow. like they're like they were already there. Chemical uh, Brothers had already had a big record out by this yeah, time. Like right? they were, this is like ninety five or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So uh so we talked about how Daft Punk was was commissioned to do a a remix of a Chemical Brothers show around or a song around this time. And the, those dudes saw them and said, We want you to open for them too. That so this was another thing, because there's two of them and there's two Daft Punks. <laughs> there's two Daft Punks no, and there's two, two Daft's Punk. Two Daft's Punk and there's two uh, Brothers Chemical. Um so they also two were Chemical's brother. Chemical's brother. They were also weary about getting compared to them at the same time. Right. Um but they're you know there's very they're very different in terms of like technical approach and production techniques and stuff. Are the Chemical Brothers English? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um they that their their show opening for them was at the Astoria in London. Oh cool. Um and yeah, they just made an immediate impact as like one of those live dance acts that you needed to see. Daniel Pierce, known under the DJ name Eats Everything, once said of a Tomas DJ set, I saw Tomas Bengalter play the best DJ set I'd ever seen in my life at the Terraza Club at Space in Ibiza. So that I think that puts this around 98 or, or 98 or 99. Uh, uh, so this, he goes on. He says he was playing two copies of the same record, reversing the other backwards in sync, throwing massive 909 kick drums into the mix and then began cradling the mixer in his arm. We were like, what the fuck is he doing? He yanks the phono leads out of the back of the mixer and starts. Started playing 
uh, a bass line with the feedback. He was creating this enormous roaring sound with nothing but his clammy hands. And this curly-haired, terrifying-looking French man didn't look up once for four goddamn hours, I swear to God. Like, that <laughs> – like, so there's just these legends of him just doing all this stuff that people are like, what the hell – what the hell am I looking at? Uh, he's not the only person to notice Tomas building music out of like insane noises live in front of an audience. This is Todd Edwards of Face to Face and Fragments of Time fame on the first time he saw Tomas perform. Tomas was playing a track and he took the wire out of the mixer from the one of the turntables. And you know when you go to connect a turntable you know, the wire, it, 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 like before you connect it, it makes a really bad buzzing sound. Well, he he did that un- intentionally and started playing the buzzing sound like a bass line to a track. So he made this like, I'm getting goosebumps thinking like, what genius. That rocks. Yeah. I love, uh, uh, I love hearing people like Eats Everything and Todd Edwards. These are guys that know what they're doing and they're being blown away by uh, by what they're hearing. Also, I love him saying, like, you know that bad noise that happens? Well, Tomas made music out of that. That's so funny to me. (laughs) You know that that awful noise that happens when you mishandle this equipment? Tomas made beautiful music out of that. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah, and I I mean, I love how the background of that is rolling and scratching because to me that's what – that song, the song "Rolling and Scratching." If you if you don't know, is the the, the song playing in the background uh, of that little cut there, yeah. which which to me sounds like that. And whenever yeah. I hear that song, I, I remember like unplugging my electric guitar from my amp and grabbing it yeah. barehanded, and it makes that. Mm, he, mm, I I would mm, mm, mm. I would imagine that he, they recorded a feedback noise, yeah, and then found ways to manipulate that feedback noise for that song because that like that that scratching sound in there. Is the same loop over and over again. They're just like, yeah, they're just pitching playing, it up, or playing with a filter it too. It uh, reminds me. I've been thinking. I, I've been thinking a lot about um, house and about techno and about the differences and similarities between the genres. And I've been thinking a lot about people I love, like Simeon Mobile Disco. And I, I was reading them talking about uh, reading uh, uh, someone talking about techno, and they were talking about how. Unlike other forms of electronic dance music that are produced with a synthesizer keyboard, techno does not always strictly adhere to the harmonic practice of Western music. And these strictures are often ignored in favor of timbral manipulation alone. Yeah. And that that's what it's like. I don't, it's, it's another quote you hear where you're like, the early techno guys were not musicians, they were sound designers. And that's where it's just like, I found a noise yeah. and it doesn't, you know, you can't put it on a staff like and read it like sheet music. <laughs> it's just a sound and a timber and a screech yeah. and a, a, a type of electricity. I love I'm that. I'm going to take this, uh, this very jarring noise and I'm going to just warp it as much as yeah. I, there's, there's a quote, um, in the Giorgio by Marauder where he's like, once I freed myself from melody, I realized what was possible and it's the same shit. Like he, he was fucking around with synthesizers before anybody. Yeah. Uh, Giorgio uh, uh, Moroder is the first person to have a number one hit that is based on synthesizer noises. And he was like, 
I realized I didn't have to make music the way that people normally make music. If I just find a noise that I can manipulate in interesting ways, that's what they're doing here. And I think that's kind of what is what I'm, I'm missing some in a lot of this kind of music now Yeah, is just that like people fucking with stuff. <laughs> yeah. Just that, uh, just that sound yeah. design. We, we I, found, I don't know. We found a compilation a while ago and I can't remember the name of the comp, but it was just, just, noise yeah and it was just like oh this is a sound i, I yeah yeah I well, you mentioned simian mobile disco i i saw them i saw them pretty early on in my dance music discovery um and they had their backs to the audience and they were they were lording over what looked like one of those phone banks that you see like women in the 1950s doing yeah. like in mad men right. where you those women are like ha they have these cords in their pulling and poking things with cord like that's what that's what these guys were doing and i was like how the fuck are they making music that way but that's what i want that's what i want it's just watching people watching musicians and like yeah engineers just like yeah. fuck with chords and see what happens modular analog yeah. synthesis is the most incredible thing in the i world. think that like it's so cool one of the i think one of the issues i mean we've seen it you know again we 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 work around uh live live venues a lot so we from time to time have uh what i think is wrongfully branded as noise noise shows but wow. i think that's the pitfall that a lot of these people who do want to mess with analog stuff and, and and make sounds and experiment with sounds i think they get a bad rap because they get you know i don't think a dj who wants people to dance their music yeah. likes getting lumped into noise yeah bands, noise you know? noise rock is something very different right. than what we're talking about right but like <laughs> yeah. but i'm talking like yeah. guy who yeah. plays who can who makes music by rigging his game boy up to a <laughs> like a, a an audio board yeah. and you know it's it's it is it's just trying to figure out new definitions for what your input method is into whatever synth or, or, or sequence you're using. Music. Yeah, right? I downloaded a special, I bought a very expensive cartridge that allowed me to play the Game Boy like a synthesizer. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, after those couple clips, the question must be asked, why do so many of these early stories about their technical wizardry have such a focus on Tomas? Right. I think we have to ask, how do the boys split responsibilities in Daft Punk? The answer... We, we don't. Uh, uh, the answer is they don't really talk about it. Uh, uh, writing, performing, vocal credits on all of uh, on all the records list Daft Punk as the creators. They share credit on everything. And while there are specific songs where it generally it's generally accepted that one or other like provides the vocals, for the most part, Tomas and Guimon are intentionally vague about each other's roles. Um, I have heard like uh, I saw an interview. Um, that they gave when they were still in Darlin. Yeah. And there Tomas uh Tomas was the lyrical writer and Guiman said he was in charge of composition. Here uh here uh we'll we'll get into it. Who's doing what? Uh, other folks uh, around them and collaborators have opened up a little bit more about their talents. So Eric Shadevier, <laughs> yeah. uh aka Rico the Wizard. He was Daft Punk's longtime long time artistic director and Guimon's former partner in the Crydemore record label. He says in the doc documentary Daft Punk Unchange, uh, Unchained, Tomas is a genius with machines. He reads instruction manuals for fun. <laughs> he, he makes beautiful melodies. He has a real idea for what makes a hit. And of Guimon, Rico says, Guimon is the mystical one. There's only one thing that works for him, and as long as he hasn't found it, found it yet, the rest is junk. Uh, and this is a really interesting piece 
from the 2013 Rolling Stone article, All Hail Our Robot Overlords, which is probably the best piece of music journalism about the boys. Uh, go read that if you haven't. <clears throat> Daft Punk's division of labor has always been murky to outsiders, and they and the pair prefer it this way. Bangalter says that he's more hands-on when it comes to technology, but that he and Dehomam Christo typically feel uh, like they have a special connection, like Siamese twins. Uh, D- Director Michelle Gondry says, To me, Guimon is a little bit like Meg in the White Stripes. She was quiet, but she anchored Jack White. Um, Danielle Duhair, who we've talked about, he was a record store owner near Tomas's childhood home. He remembers being stunned by Dehomam Christo's facility with Melody. He'd hear something and say, that's great, but change one chord and it would make it obviously better. And then house music hero Todd Edwards, who's collaborated with Daft Punk numerous times, says Tomas is the front man, the one setting everything up, taking the lead on all the executive decisions. So the work is getting done. Then Gimon comes in and puts his input, uh, which make which is critical and, and makes it a whole. So yeah. uh, almost like Tomas, uh, Tomas is an idea generator and Gimon is an editor. It seems like yeah. maybe yeah. is where they're going. I'd like to issue a correction. Alive 2021 is the best piece of music journalism. About. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Good. Yes. So there's, uh, so, <laughs> uh, no, yes. but, but in all seriousness, I, uh, I admire, I mean, I know, I know Daft Punk's credo is that they don't give us a lot in, in terms of the behind the scenes, but I admire that they are not interested in, you know, divisions di- of labor, divisions of labor, you know, divorcing the individual from the project. They produce it together. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Which, to me. What does that mean moving forward? Um, if neither of them is interested in taking credit, are we ever, like, are we going to get solo projects for these guys or are they just going to be like in the shadows? in the shadows? Are, you know, we find out that this track from this person is a uh, Tomas. I mean, that makes I, I've wondered that since, you know, since getting deeper and deeper into this, I've had this conscious thought of like what shadow stuff have they done that we don't know about already? Because yeah. I would bet knowing them a lot or a fa- at least some, yeah. you know, I mean, like the one of the last things that they did was um uh, I forgot the name of the band. It was like an Australian kind of poppy punk band, and they saw them somehow, and they weren't anything. And they're were like, "We want, we'll work with you." Were they the Parallels or something like that? I can't remember. Um, uh, I, I'm gonna have to look that up, folks. Uh, but yeah, they were just interested in working with people that they saw something in. Yeah, this was not a big band, um, and they they figured it out. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to think about. But then, like, I mean, the other side of that is, is, you know, based on everything we've talked about in these last few episodes, it seems like the idea of never uh, of keeping it murky, of never really defining who does what or dividing labor. It seems like that. Again, I'm going to pull back to the control I mean, it gives them more control. Well, I think what it's they also with shit- his, his dad, right? Right. His dad was like a, a disco genius in the 70s who he put out one or two of his own records. Yeah. But all of his most influential things were with the Ottawans, with these other groups. Yeah. He was a background person. And, right. he, you know, he elevated an entire uh, industry and genre of music in, in France right. and the world uh, and they have they may, you know maybe are more interested in doing the same I thing. mean what do we know about you know to, to go back to to the quote what do we know about the White Stripes right what what do we know about the White Stripes that's Jack White and then Meg's the drummer and that like, that's the conversation so many people have had about yeah uh, and, and I, I wonder had Tomas and, and Guy have they had they 
told us who does what, would we have like that in the standard conversations people have about Daft Punk? I think we would, you know, whether it's, whether it's one way or the other. I think that again, this is another example of them doing the right, making the right call to serve the music, you know, to to make it about the music. If in the future, any news comes out and they do something, we will go back into these episodes and edit out all the speculation (laughs) that was incorrect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're all George Lucas. This (laughs) shit. Absolutely. We'll put CGI into it. We'll CGI of saying something smarter. (laughs) Just clearly, clearly modified, clearly modified sentences. Our responses don't fit. Yeah. My, my voice with like a computerized lilt yeah. in it. Like, <laughs> eh, like solo we knew, yeah. album. Solo <laughs> album was great. Their solo stuff was fantastic, as we all knew it would be. <laughs> uh, Chris Conway, aka DJ Ludacris, uh, saw the duo perform at the WMC in the early 90s. He told journalist uh, Harris Rosen, I knew that they were not like real DJs per se because Gimon was standing on a milk crate uh, so he could reach the turntables and as the mix started to slip tomas would slide his arm secretly under Guy's arm to drag uh, to drag his finger on the platter saving from a shoes in the dryer situation uh, <laughs> so, so this this he is can, that's very funny this oh is my God. very early this is like yeah. before homework but uh so th- also it, this is a learning curve it's it's hard to learn how to do this stuff. There's not like there's not DJ classes like there are guitar classes, especially in '94. Yeah. So they're figuring it out, and and uh, obviously Tomas, whatever their stre- like whatever their strengths and weaknesses are, Tomas is the tech guy. Yes. So obviously he's gonna have a better understanding of the actual tech. And you've seen them perform where Tomas's hands are all over the place, especially mm-hmm. in the early sets, and, and Gimon is maybe keeping tempo and stuff. But it's very funny that like yeah. a DJ knows I mean, like. Bah, 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 if you if you uh, we'll go back to talking about uh, even further really quick. If you watch the even further uh, festival video, you wouldn't. If you didn't know, we'll get to either even. Further. I'm just saying, if you yeah. didn't know, you the, the camera does not really leave Tomas the whole time yeah. because he's clearly even the one doing. Is a good name for a festival. It really it's a great is. one. Yeah, I, even he, further. Uh, um, I the first time I saw that, I wasn't totally convinced it was a Daft Punk show. Yeah. Because you don't see Gimon in it until like minute forty eight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, that's, just, frames. that's just where the camera is lying. But right. but Tomas is the one doing a lot of a lot of that stuff there. Uh, so everyone that has ever seen the boys at work agrees that they are technological innovators, especially at this time. They were doing things that others hadn't even thought of yet. Uh, so this is a, a clip of Todd Edwards again and Guy Lawrence from Disclosure. And they're talking about Daft Punk's technological advancements. Uh, I could not edit this down because it's re- it's awesome. It's fascinating to hear these two guys nerd out about technology. So it's a, this clip is a little bit longer, but uh, I think uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to all our listeners. Us back then, like you know, um, you know, there were, you, know you got to realize back in the day there was we, we weren't at the stage of Ableton and you know working off your laptop so they had zip disks laying around with finished products on the floor and man that's what i wanted to ask about i mean could you i, I you know there's something to be said about not revealing too much because it loses magic and that yeah. kind of thing but if there's just one like crazy daft punk trick that you remember seeing that they were doing for the first time that blew your mind because for me like Going back to homework, hearing a song like Revolution 909 mm-hmm. in 1997, I mean, I was, I mean, how old was I? Like five. Yeah. So I didn't hear it then, but like, you know, when I was old enough to hear it properly, and then I appreciated how 
It was a similar moment to when I first realised how Jay Diller was doing his production notes. Yeah. Just like the amount of chopping and sampling and all of that stuff without a computer, the work that goes into that and, and to invent it, you know, to do yeah. it for the first time. And also really... just the way their records sounded. Like I remember the first yeah. time I heard Defunk loud. Yeah, like that MS20 bass sound, come on. Like actually loud through a really good sound system. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I've never heard anything sound like this, just sound like this. Um, for me, you know, again, I, you know, I worked the way I would work, you know, my sampler mixing board was terrible at mixing down stuff. The one thing that they did in the studio and I, and people attribute to them, you know, was the heavy use of side chaining that everyone thinks that they kind of invented, but what, what they did that, that I, I even use right now, and I don't know if this is a common practice, but was side chaining the vocal. Um, and at the time it was just basically, you know, they would just put a popping set like it, and it was all analog gear so it was a you know uh, an, yeah. an outboard compressor and just you know so basically yeah when I, when I was a when we were first starting disclosure yeah. i could hear the side chaining sound but i didn't know what that was and so i made a few tunes back at the start where i just had the whole mix super low and the kick really loud and put an actual compressor on the output track yeah. and then like wow. the kick would just like obliterate the rest of the music <laughs> and that would be kind of like the uh, funk style but way yeah. worse yeah, That's yeah, a yeah, trick, yeah. the side chain the side of the vocal i just want to say does definitely like it was it's something that i use it it just kind of really yeah it's the vocal in i there. agree that I, yeah i never actually considered they were probably the first or one of the first i don't do i mean I, I don't know if they were the first but that was the first time they I did it so well though man yeah. that's the key they did it so because doing something like side chain the vocal for those who aren't as tech savvy side chaining means when you use a sound within the track like the kick drum let's say to affect the volume of another instrument so say you've got the vocal going nah, and then the kick drum, kick drum going, do, do, do. It's going to make the vocal go, you hear that all the time, you know, nowadays. But back then, badly. You hear that all the time nowadays, badly. I just want to. <laughs> <laughs> it happens a lot. It happens a lot. And, you know, there's a few tracks I wish I could go back and tweak my side chain, but there isn't a single dark on tune It's out of whack. It's perfect. Yeah. It, that's incredible to hear to hear accomplished musicians talking like that about you, these guys. I, so, I love I like Disclosure and I like Todd Edwards and I know he's remixed their music. What a, it's incredibly disrespectful that they're like Daft Punk was like chopping up samples like really good before anybody else was, and Todd Edwards is <laughs> the guy who chops vocal samples. Yeah. I think even better than Daft Punk. That's yeah. not what they do yeah, as much. That's his thing. And he was doing it as early as 1995. <laughs> they incorporate it into yeah. their like he, adapt so and direct tour sets. He, like you, uh, uh, he, he mentions it in there that he wasn't much of a live, like he didn't yeah. really learn how to DJ until later. He's mentioned in teachers like this guy that yeah has, he's, you know, like he's a he he, he they learned a lot from him. Is talking yeah. to Todd Edwards, the guy who does the samples. <laughs> They're like, yeah, Daft Punk was doing those cool samples before yeah. anybody. It's like, but come even, on, man. But even Todd Edwards is like, you know, the way yeah. when I heard that, I was like, you know, uh, I do like hearing them too, like like a young guy Lawrence, like just fucking up his song to yeah. make it try to sound the same. Uh, that's, that's great. That's <laughs> a, I, uh, I, I, 
I really, I really like hearing them talk like that. It's, yeah, it's fun to get them that excited I, about this. The kind first of thing. time I clipped it, that was it was like a six minute clip because they go on for a while. That so that is from, uh, it's on YouTube. Zane Lowe, the we've talked about him. Mm-hmm. He's a, a music journalist from the BBC. He the week that Daft Punk broke up, he did a clubhouse chat with Todd Edwards, Nile Rodgers, guy from Disclosure, and there might have been one more person there. And they for like an hour and a half, they just like gush about them. Go check that whole thing out because it's it's wonderful. Uh, at this time, Daft Punk uh, completely rebuilt their songs live, and it was a wild show. The boys brought their home equipment on the road with them, recreating Tomas's bedroom setup. Tomas says uh, of live performances around this time, everything was synced up, the drum machines, the bass line, the sequencer was just sending out tempos and controlling the beats and bars. On top of this, the structure we built, all these layers of samples and various parts that we could bring in whenever we wanted to. Very cool. Uh, this following is an excerpt from Coda Magazine. Uh, they did a review of Daft Punk's live show at Zenith Paris in September of 95. And huge thank you to Stephanie over at the blog, Softer, Worser, Slower, Weaker. <laughs> That's a good name <laughs> great, for a blog. Great, uh, uh, great uh, blog name. It's on Tumblr. The little bio says, um, I made the mistake of Googling Daft Punk uh, one day, and now I run a blog about them. Hmm. Uh, but she, she knows French, and she... Uh, she translates a bunch of really old uh, articles about the boys, and I could not thank her enough. Uh, this is from an article entitled Daft Punk Live, Portrait and in- Investigation of an Exemplary Live Act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the start of the show at 2.30 a.m., Daft Punk comes onto the stage. Tomas moves to the left of the setup and will control the Roland TR-909 and TB-303 drum machines the S760 sampler, and most importantly, the Mackie CR1202 mixer. Meanwhile, Gimon takes his place on the right to maintain the interplay and the programming on the Lindrum and Basic Rhythm drum machines and the Juno 106 keyboard synth. It's a melting pot of fusion and sounds from a very slow start to a violent hip-hop beat drum rhythm about 109 beats per minute. Finishing on a much faster techno rhythm, more in line with a Daft Punk sound at about 140. Daft Punk, uh, the Daft Punk show might be sort of harsh, sort of fast. At the beginning, the group was ready, uh, uh, has a ready a framework and a musical structure that is programmed into the Alessis MMT8 sequencer and the different drum machines, on top of which they can play and improvise live according to the room and the sound and the audience reaction. Uh, by the way, we observe how much Tomas uh, at the command of the main mixer is concerned about the reactions of the audience. An eye on the set, another on the audience. We see him at the end of the show relieved and satisfied, lighthearted in the presence of many uh, reactions, euphoric and happy whistles shouting from the crowd, indicators of an experience and an exemplary musical wave. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That is a, yeah. that's very up my alley. Um, that was the most technical thing yeah, I'd that ever rocks. heard of. Yeah. So like I, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by their live setup at this point. Um, the MMT is the brain of their production at this stage. And it's a sequencer that is uh, a 16. It, it's got 16 tracks. Um, you, you can, you can sequence 128 patterns with it. So they've sequenced a ton of stuff and they, you can use it to like, 
um, mute and turn on tracks and mess with it in real time in an era before you could bring a computer to the show. So like, you know, later in Alive 2007, they're going to use like a homebrew supercomputer built version of Ableton for this, which is now what people use to produce music on their laptops. But it's crazy, you know, this many years before that. They had to do that all manually. Yeah. And like, there's a really good video of Alan Brax, who is, you know, a, a close collaborator with these guys, um, talking about the MMT-8 uh, and how to use it. And it's fascinating watching him play with the sequencer. <laughs> And then I'm to ha- really happy to have you here to because <laughs> I I just said a bunch of n- letters and numbers to try to pretend like I knew what all that was, <laughs> but I don't I, I I'm not the musical one, so it's cool to have Devin here to explain some of those. So uh, man, the gear setup on this tour is like yeah, is that crazy? Really, so much fun. shit up there. And like I don't know, all of these synthesizers were you know, there are a lot of Japanese synthesizers from the '80s that were expensive when they came out, and then they dipped in price for a long time. And you could just buy them wherever. And now all of these things are incredibly expensive. Yeah. The, the like Juno 106 is now a synthesizer that costs over a thousand dollars. Like it's crazy. We'll get into it too. What I learned researching this episode, which because I thought that this was all of their shows in this time, but they there was like half of the uh, Defender Act tour that was just DJ sets too. Yeah. And they eventually. Um, um, I think they got kind of bored with that a little bit. Also, they um, Tomas stopped DJing uh, at, in the late '90s because he thought he was getting tinnitus, uh, or was getting tinnitus. Um, uh, but uh, um, yeah, we'll get into what what they sound like as just DJs too. It's uh, it's cool to hear that Guimon was on the drum machines and the and the synth. Yeah, that's a cool combination because like. The synth that 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 to me says that Gamon had the ability, like you were talking about, melodically. The synth yeah. is where you would freestyle a lot of stuff. Uh, I, I would imagine that's where you would be able to add some, some, some like riffs and melodies on top of stuff. Um, but yeah, that's that's a, that's a cool. I, I mean, I I never really I I have a hard time thinking where does the you know, what is the track that they're using when right. they're playing live? Like, where is the recorded piece and where is the improvisation yeah, and where is the know. assembly? And it's like, it's very, very hard to think, especially like when we dick around on like, on like, on, on, on Devin's shit or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. okay, I, it's hard for me to understand how I add in new sounds here yeah. or where I'm blending songs together and, and, and all that stuff. So it's really this, cool to hear yeah, a breakdown uh, of this stuff. Breaking news for our listeners. Uh, I did my first ever DJing <laughs> this weekend. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I fucked around on a, a little uh, mixer. Uh, Darren picked it up pretty quickly. Yeah. I have more musical experience yeah. than you though, but yeah. uh, it's, it's fun. We did a little, uh, like we said, we, we got, we got together to do, do our, uh, live 97, uh, listen party with the three of us. And we all play it around on, uh, on Devin's, uh, Devin's little rig there. It's, uh, this is, this is wild to me because this is this incredible rig of expensive synthesizers and drum machines chained together. And that is what they use to make this album. Yeah. They could not use this rig to play Discovery. They could not have no. used this rig to play any of the other albums. This yeah. is the live rig for this tour. Yeah. They like we would not have enjoyed a live two thousand seven 
if they had done a ton of synthesizers no. chained together. Nope. They're we'll rigged see, for yeah. that. The well, Behringers and the, the Mini Moogs is it's it's just for that tour. We're go- right. Like the uh, a. Uh, re reliving of their career like we are doing here we're going to experience it but even discovery when it came out rubbed a lot of their fans the wrong way yeah but that that was their first time where they they reinvigorated themselves and and presented a new thing to the world uh and it, it was so different from homework and what they were doing live here that a lot of people that love them were like, What the fuck is this pop bullshit? Uh same thing happens to human after all. Same thing happens to Ram. A lot of fans yeah. heard that and, and did not like it right away. Right. Uh because it's so you know, but that is part of their thing, is they're not interested in, in doing more of the same. They wanna explain. Exp- Can you imagine if your favorite act was this like underground like warehouse techno, you know, drum machine synthesizer thing. And then suddenly they had an anime on Cartoon Network. Yeah. And you were like, oh, no, my yeah. favorite band is the warehouse thing. Yeah. That would, that would be hard. And now they're robots? Yeah. Like that would be, <laughs> yeah. that would be really wild. Yeah. If, I, I love that they are not afraid to, you yeah. know, always veer into weird and nerdy and cool stuff. Uh, some of the earliest uh, earliest footage of Daft Punk comes from the Even Further Festival, as we mentioned in episode one. Um, is, go look this up on YouTube if you have not yet. Uh, at the time, um, uh, Defunk was making uh, the rounds in the rave circles, becoming a must-play track at any party. And Midwestern party monsters flocked to the middle of Wisconsin to see Aphex Twin, uh, Mix, Mixmaster Morris, and above all, Daft Punk. Uh, Spin Magazine wrote an oral history of this momentous event, and I'm just going to read some of their oral history now because it's very funny. Yeah. Uh, Event promoter Woody McBride. It got real muddy and unforgiving as far as setting up and camping, moving speakers around. I remember digging speakers out of a foot of mud and having to scrounge up wood to set speakers on. Event founder David Prince. I remember going around hyper aware but definitely high and said – to Kurt, this party needs some nudity. He's like, yeah, sure. Then he climbs up on top of the speaker and gets naked. <laughs> uh, music journalist Matt Bondi, a number of friends injured themselves. <laughs> <laughs> One fell with his leg down a pipe and basically skinned the front of his leg. He was rocking around with a flap of skin. My friend, in the mud. My friend Ray was in the dark and got his scrotum attached to a barbed wire fence and was rushed to the hospital. In the end, it saved his life because they figured out he had testicular cancer. There you go. That's like a reverse monkey paw situation. (laughs) He tore his scrotum on a barbed wire fence and that Uh, saved his life. Daft Punk will do a reverse monkey paw situation. (laughs) Daft Punk, you know Daft Punk, the reverse monkey paw guy. Yes, one of my biggest regrets of my life is uh, I ripped my scrotum and it it ended up saving myself because they learned I had testicular cancer, but I uh, missed Daft Punk. So So it's a a monkey paw, reverse monkey paw situation. Uh, Will Hermes, a former editor uh, of the Minneapolis city pages uh the drug use was off the hook those of us who were a little older were moderate in our consumption but there were young kids there and frankly i don't remember it being so much of a musical experience i remember it being kind of a war zone people were just fucking high i mean really fucking high (laughs) dj so what would they have been doing at this time just club speed speed. just chemicals yeah just just, like dirty 
dirty. Research chemicals. Talking yeah. like, uh, like, so, like. Uh, um, so this is around the time. So at, at this time, this is from that book, Chemical Cowboys, that I've mentioned right. before. Uh, it's a really interesting look at the rave scene, uh, the the drug industry scene, and the cops trying to stop it. But around this time, almost, uh, almost all of the ecstasy in the world was controlled by the Israeli mafia through these giant underground uh, labs in Holland. Okay. So Holland has very loose drug laws in terms of creating stuff. So these Israeli mafia guys hired all these scientists to make these club drugs in Holland, and it was all just like just shit yeah. packed into like just pills. buying chemicals from and a cut, store and, and, like, and all of it would have been cut with shit at this yeah. time so um it would have been dirty dirty mdma cut with whatever that pill like so you know back at, at this time they had like um you would know like like yellow starfish or whatever would be packed as a pill and it would have a stamp of something on it right and you wouldn't know what was in it, but you would be like, oh, yeah, that one gets you some fuck high. Yeah, the yellow we soap. Don't, we don't use the term designer drugs anymore, yeah. but that was a term they used to use. They were just like a bunch of like MDX or yeah, like, yeah. you know, ISC2 or whatever. It's just like 4-ACO-DET, yeah. like all these like – You'll see you you'll see uh, uh, footage of raves around this time, and it'll be just like this scrawny bald guy whose eyeballs look like they're going to fall out of his head and his bottom jaw is jut out so far that you think it might be disconnected. <laughs> it's like, so, that's what he, that's what they're doing. From this era, everyone at the rave looks like that. Yeah, and yeah. also, this is the peak of X-Files and all the X-Files bad guys look like this. <laughs> so, like, every time I watch this, I'm like, these look like, this looks like it's a, like, Sculler like, and Maldi. Some some like, Mulder and Scully runner. are about to walk in and be like so some <laughs> like showrunner X Files just watch like going to raves for <laughs> ideas about monsters. It's so Holy crazy. shit! Uh, DJ Davy Dave says <laughs> DJ Dave Davies. Yeah, right. Shout out Dave Davies. <laughs> DJ Davy Dave says there was no stage show. There was no huge LED lights. It was basic laser light show, decent sound system. But I'd put that moment uh, ahead of any moment at any festival I've ever been to. DJ Frankie Bones says it was this totally epic moment when they did Defunk. I remember. I remember it totally. People were just going bananas. Uh, awesome. Uh, Gimon. Uh, this is him talking about this festival 20 years later. He goes, we're 20-year-old kids, and I thought it was really one of the best festivals we'd ever done. It wasn't huge, but it was, uh, and it was in the woods, in nature, really outside of the city. Techno music was known in Chicago and Detroit, but it wasn't as big as it is now. It was just this special moment. We have great memories. Even now, people go on YouTube uh, to get videos of that night. It was true energy. So this was like this really made an impact on these kids. It's something else to see. I mean, I, I've mentioned it. We've all mentioned it before. I mean, when 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 if you want, I I I keep pulling back to the tall guy in the middle, right behind uh, Tomas in he the video. He looks like Ian Mackay from Fugazi. He does, and he looks like a busboy from the Coney Island at Thirteen and Van Dyke and Warren. It's just crazy <laughs> to watch that guy. At the, you know, they're opening up their set, and it's you know, it, it starts, and you don't really know what you're hearing or how it's yeah. going to line up. They're finding the rhythm. They're getting everything uh, timed perfectly together. And you just see this guy's brain click once it, once it starts to fall into form and you just see this expression of just 
pure joy on this man's face and then it's just off to the races for 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 a, like i don't even know how long is that set like i don't know it's, it's got to be like an hour long or something i'm not like sure that. I, I, I don't 50 I don't minutes think maybe that the, i don't think the youtube video is the full thing right. i don't know time worked different back then yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> time worked different for a lot of people there <laughs> uh, but it's one of my so, favorite uh, uh I, Daft Punk. Uh, speaking footage. of which, uh, drugs are not uniquely American. So now might be a, a good time to mention that Daft Punk was coming up during a time that raves were gaining attention from a mainstream audience that wanted to party and a police presence that wanted to shut it down. We mentioned last week that def the defunct video was shot in a New York City after Mayor Ju Rudy Giuliani had promised to crack down on the promiscuous parties at places like Limelight and Club USA. Uh, the same thing was happening in France. Uh, music journalist Harris Rosen, again, uh, it, he says this in uh, The Real Daft Punk. Europe's pension for electronic-derived pop music opened the gate for American house and techno to creep in. Bored with uh, the wholesale club aesthetic, a new breed of promoters began to hold massive underground parties in fields, warehouses, and airplane hangars. A co-opting of space made for transformative possibilities fueled by a communion of uh, a base or community based on the music peace love unity and respect and the drug ecstasy um so this is the boys in rage magazine from again around this time uh this is Gimon. the techno movement now compromises many people and goes beyond music in fashion for example but it's hampered by police threats and prohibitions. Raves are officially banned in Paris. So thousands of people in Paris and its suburbs are therefore prevented from having fun. Techno now includes a certain generation, young, that wants to live fully. Their intentions, even if there are problems with drugs, are good. Nobody wants to hurt anybody else. There are never any fights at raves. People just want to have fun to dance. It's a friendly space where you can bump into a lot of people and talk to one another. Tomas concludes... At a time when people tend to stay in front of the TV, it's positive to see thousands of people leaving their homes. The drug problem exists, but it's too big uh, to put everything in the same bag and lump the dangers of drugs together with repetitive music and trance. I think that so many people coming together for the same thing can be a scary concept to some folks and that drug and that drugs are, are an excuse to prevent these gatherings. It's quite hypocritical because drugs are everywhere and pro uh, prohibiting people from getting together isn't going to prevent them from taking drugs. Our society has a lot of problems and a generation reclaimed itself by uh, not throwing in the towel and continuing to have fun. That's a, that's a really perceptive thing you mentioned before that quote it's a much more famous quote from tomas where he's like these people are doing the same shit at rock concerts and nobody's yeah. harassing them right because uh, it's true like this is a new new thing that's happening the music sounds crazy if you don't if you're not not initiated to it uh, it's one of those things too people where people are scared of new shit right. they always have been. and it's like we say that a lot when we're looking at specific tracks you know we show a 15 second clip and we yeah. have to say it's very hard to just duck in on this song yeah. because if you are not there to see where it yeah. comes from and then to see where it goes the part that seems you know it's like it's like walking in yeah. in, in, in into a movie during a murder scene and then saying this is a murder movie it's well, bad yeah, you know that just, kind of stuff it's, it's, it's the, same, the tension it's the same thing generationally right right the the folks that were that heard this music and were scared about what it was doing to the youth their parents heard an electric guitar and were scared about what would happen right. to them. And they, their parents were, were scared uh, that somebody moved their hips on TV. You know, it's yeah. the same shit over it's and over very, again. I, I talk about this a lot. And I, I've been in a bunch of rock and roll bands. and I love rock and roll and stuff. 
But it is crazy that like in the 60s, if you wanted to party, you would like go out into a field and do these drugs and stuff and then have to listen to just the most annoying guitar play the star yeah, spangled or like, banner or like i want to like, hear an annoying synthesizer or like or like uh, like my, uh, my annoying sounds are way better than your annoying <laughs> you sounds. had you had to like do acid and listen to like stra- strawberry alarm clock or yeah. like whatever the hell incense and peppermint or whatever the fuck. So, uh, so the boys partied on uh you may looking be, at oil lights <laughs> you may be wondering uh what did a daft punk show in 96 or 97 sound like well, it depends on what kind of show they were actually playing. Around this time, they were doing uh, uh, much more DJ work than they, they did for the rest of their careers, uh, in- including, like I said earlier, m- much of the Defender Act tour was DJ sets instead of live stuff. So, for example, their first American show on the tour was at the Route 66 roller rink in Chicago. Uh, instead of their live rig, the boys DJed here with a specific focus on the ho- uh, on Chicago House. spinning the track it's it's that's ecstasy by dj dion uh um uh, from uh from chicago yeah. it's that's very them, that's um, them spinning they do that. a cover they do a cover of that in um in in one of the like yeah. live sets i listen to like they do that so with this, their synthesizers this this i loved this whole set it's about two hours it's in a fucking roller rink i got a, a, a bunch more about this uh uh it was this so this roller rink was actually a hot spot for the rave scene uh, of chicago at this time um I found the flyer to this particular show, and it's fucking wild. Uh, there's a huge paragraph of information. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with Daft Punk, but I think it's worth sharing just to see what was happening around rave culture at this time. Yeah. So this is on the bottom of a, a flyer advertising a Daft Punk show. Uh, it's time to set the record straight once and for all, so listen up. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> first of all, we've been watching and we don't like what's happening for such a long time now. We're sure many, many people feel the same way. What is happening to our culture here in Chicago? With uh, What's with all these new faces that don't have a clue? They need to be re-educated and it's up to us to do it. We've got to take back our culture from those who... Uh, think that it's trend, uh, just a trendy thing to do. And we're telling those people right now it's not. It's really disheartening. So right now it feels like a Trump thing. <laughs> yeah, this is very no. confusing yeah, copy. No, a 17-year-old wrote yeah, that. Yeah, that is. Okay. But uh, it, it goes on. It's really disheartening to go to these vibeless parties these days, and nobody even knows or cares who's spinning. For our event, we want you to know that if you're coming – just don't stand around trying to look cool, afraid to get sweaty in your brand new yeah. designer clothes. Now it's our shit. Now, it now it's our shit. Stay home because you're going to get bumped into uh, on the side. It's going to be everyone straight jacking their bodies without They're going to be straight jacking. Yeah, they're going to be <laughs> straight jacking their bodies without caring about looking good. The music and the people make a great party, not the labels, attitudes, or substances. Join us on February 11th because everyone will get in their groove on in the Windy City. We are one. We are strong. And above all else, we are family. Hell yeah, dude. That yeah. rocks. Because at this point, house music has been played in Chicago for almost 20 yeah. years, right? It's 96. And like Chicago House is happening in like 79, 80, 81. You, They've yeah, been doing this. You imagine a, a, um, 
a 17 year old in a windbreaker in the baggiest pants you've ever seen uh, go to a party like this and just be surrounded by people in Armani suits and be like, what the, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> it's getting cool and this sucks. I want this to not be cool anymore. <laughs> this is not supposed to be cool. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the fire must have worked because this uh, is something of a legendary show. Uh, Daft Punk opened for um, DJ Hyperactive and Paul Johnson, Hell who yeah. are mentioned in the first 10 names. Paul Johnson is number one on teachers. Yep. Hyperactive is number eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so they got to open for some of their heroes on this show. That's awesome. Very cool. Uh, I found a, a, a YouTube commenter. uh uh, of the video of this show online not a video just a, a yeah. bootleg right he goes i remember this night they came in with some sort of cheap furry masks on uh but they took them off shortly because route 66 was hot as an armpit in the middle of winter oh, this yeah. is before they were big and whenever whenever they visit they always uh played sets with mostly chicago midwest tracks uh in homage i guess uh so a lot of this yeah was was local stuff that they were just like, we love this shit and we want you guys to know it. Uh, the best part, uh, is, in my opinion, is hearing them juxtapose their own music with stuff uh, they're most excited about from Chicago. So I'm going to show you them getting into Rolling and Scratching from Debo uh, from the Debo song Southside. And then we're going to hear them get out of Rolling and Scratching. So this is a Chicago song. You hear it pitching up? There it is. There it is. Yeah, that's incredible. That's so smooth. It comes in, and if you, you if for a moment you feel like it's they're gonna cut it out, and but right. then they 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 let Southside uh, uh, linger around in there. It's great. I uh, I I love. So it, it's so interesting me to me to 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 hear this because it's a Daft Punk DJ set to me. I don't know what it is. I, so the if you are interested in hearing them as yeah. DJs. The best example uh, of them as just straight DJs is their BBC Essential mix right. that you can find anywhere online. It's two hours, and it is just them throwing down as DJs. Yeah. Uh, so if you if you've never heard that, go look it up. It's it's really cool to like like a live ninety seven. We'll talk more about a live ninety seven in a second. I'm uh, obviously, uh, but like it's it it sounds so much like Daft Punk, but it's yeah. so difficult to figure out what it is that makes it sound so like Daft let's, Punk, uh, right? Let's go ahead and hear yeah that yeah. transition out of rolling and scratching. Oh, yeah. It's uh it they transition it into Jump to My Beat by Wild Child. It's it's crazy to me because in that moment, like when you first showed the first clip, right? It doesn't to me sound like I understand that it is Daft Punk, the very first clip you showed from this. But it doesn't sound like Daft Punk to me. And it's just amazing that the introduction of, of just that part of Rolling and Scratching makes those two songs that it's fading yeah. from and to just 
automatically sound like Daft Punk, and it's it's hard to place what that is yeah. that makes them sound uh, like that. I don't know what could what it could be. What, the moment they start playing Daft Punk music, I don't know why it sounds like Daft Punk <laughs> to me. No, but I mean, no, like, I why it's such yeah. like Rolling and Scratching that noise, yeah. like that, that noise I mean, alone we, is such a Daft Punk style we've, sound, we've and it's made, hard to it's uh, that identify that song, what a Daft Punk that, style sound is. L- l- that song specifically is scientifically engineered to yeah. make your brain go nuts. I know? listened to a DJ set from. I think a couple days before this that was at like the slam party at the arches and Glasgow oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's a pretty similar set list. Um I was excited about it cuz they had like the Todd Edwards remix of um the St. Germain song Alabama Blues that I really like on there. They also have a bunch of like less cool music in there yeah. like as you we'll, we'll talk about cool it later yeah. we'll talk about it later next week but like they, they just throw in like not less cool but like you know they throw in billy jean by michael yeah. jackson is the third track in the set and then like all i do by stevie wonder and stuff so it's like that mixed in with like cassius and all these house tracks in chicago it, it, it creates its own thing when you're mixing all these cool For chicago sure. house tracks into french euro disco and like michael jackson the boys absolutely preferred to perform "quote unquote" live sets at the time, though. So, uh, for those uninitiated, if you go to a festival or something, you will see like on the set uh, on the festival list, DJ set like parentheses DJ set uh, parentheses live. A lot of these artists do both or just one. So, like Bob Moses is a electronic band. They are like they play instruments. They make like uh, experimental electronic music with instruments on stage. If you go see them, they are live. When I saw the last time I went to Electric Forest, Bob Moses (parentheses DJ set), and it was the first time that Bob Moses ever DJed in front of people, and uh, and it was a completely different show than you would see normally from uh, from Bob Moses, um, like. Animal Collective does the same thing. The vast majority of the time that you see Animal Collective perform, they're they are a band, right? But all of them DJ and they will do DJ sets here and there. Uh, same goes for uh, um, uh, the uh, the other way, right? Like um, like Buka Shade, they do a lot of stuff live, uh, um, and, you know, and they w- would do they might do one or the other, yeah. um, or Chemical Brothers. Uh, uh, so it depends on what what their setup is, what their right. rig is, and so like the one of the big differences you'd get between a DJ set or a live set is a live set is them reconstructing their own music as a yes. band, and a DJ set you will might see them playing songs from other artists that so other producers that they just, like yeah. and working them together. So, what, so for those of you who don't know, what we just heard right is is was Daft Punk playing tunes and then syncing them up so they could smoothly transition from yep. one to the other. Uh, uh, what we heard previously uh, and what we will hear from here on out is them using synths and, and drum machines and shit to to make stuff on, on stage. Yeah. Um, they wanted to create a unique experiment uh, uh, experience and take some of their big spectacle from their favorite bands and, uh, and movies uh, to the stage. And in a 1997 interview, that one from Rage magazine I mentioned earlier, Tomas says, I don't understand why at raves people all dance in the direction of the platform where the DJ is, since there's nothing special to look at there. We're trying to plan a live show while taking into account 
the venue and the dimensions of the room. So, uh, uh, if if you're into dance music now, you know that it is a show. Yeah. In ni- in ninety five, it was not. Uh, there was no reason to to look at the at the stage uh, in ninety in ninety five, but these were some of the first artists who were interested in making it something that you would want to watch. Right. So, it, like um, we mentioned, the Rolling and Scratching Live thing from uh, the Daft DVD. Go look at that up because they have a whole by the end, like by the time they get to this tour, they've got a whole setup with video boards and everything. Yeah. It's not quite the pyramid, no, but it's something. But I don't. I mean, like, not to jump too far ahead. You you can't really get the pyramid without the software that they bring because that is one of the things about it yeah. is it's all synced so much, will, and that doesn't come until we will get to yeah what what went into the pyramid because right. it, it that in and of itself saying, just is a, an awesome story. A, a layman's answer to that is without the, the computers to synchronize yeah. the lights and yeah. sound, when they're recreating things on sequencer and live things the way that you described earlier, yeah. it's almost impossible to, I mean, I would say it is impossible to have a light show uh, in the vein of 2007, which will then set the industry standard for all your, your, your we'll call it the, the like Ableton generation yeah. of producers, uh, producer DJs or whatever. Uh, I mean, that is a huge part of where electronic music goes is the big shows that that come alongside them the festival shows yeah for live performances tomas and Gimon broke down their bedroom recording studio and tried to recreate the whole thing on stage uh we le- learned a little bit about that earlier uh, uh again from coda magazine uh by the live interplay of additive production adding a non-program musical sequence from random ideas uh, from the tr909 the tb303 basic rhythm juno 106 and most importantly by the modulation of the show at any moment uh in terms of volume handling on the Mackie cr1202 mixer adding and removing the instrument track or or that this instrument track or that one reassigning the outputs of new instruments to the tracks uh, of the console during the show equalizing and modifying the sound levels of each track using the bass treble adjustments uh uh there we see the work uh, of an experienced DJ. They play with different filters for each device, y- even using several effects pedals to build their own sound through new model- modulations and effects. That's wild. There's yeah. so much going on yeah, there. That is so. Fuck anybody who says that they're just button pushers. Because you was, have no fucking idea. <laughs> I was I, that is like my biggest that, fucking. Oh, I hate it. I was it's, gonna say that seems that answer seems like an overcompensation to the question of well, do they just push buttons? Right. Like uh, I I get that. I mean, like if well, you these, don't listen, Coda Magazine is like a nerdy electronic yeah. ma- like no I th- and yeah. and they are. I mean the the way they're explaining that is. Well, and it is is a is a big explanation but, of of just performing music. But I think one of the things that we can take like it's like, almost like like for for so long, the general public who didn't understand what was going on up there just said, "Well, they're just button pushers," right? To the point that that just became what the industry was like. Well, if that's what they think we are, I, then we'll just fucking do that. I think that so like it sucks because I is, want more of this. I think there, there's, I mean, there's there's there's, you know. there's something else to be said, right? So like we're 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 here in the studio. There's like some guitar stuff laying around, and like I have a guitar pedal board to the left over there, right? And you can look at it. There's five pedals sitting in there, right? I, I generally run with like five pedals in my guitar, but the the amount that I can do by reordering those five pedals in different input orders is insane. The different numbers. So to run what on the reason I'm saying that is just 
the, the sheer number of things they have and the different filters and compressors and effects that they have them going to in any different number, like that, that truly, I, it, it is amazing yeah. to hear more and more about in depth what this stuff yeah. looks like because it can, it does not take a lot to modify an electric signal in a, in a way that grossly modifies yeah. it you know it's just like a tiny little like a transistor or a tiny little whatever the hell little little tiny electrical component that changes your signal it compresses your signal it broadens your signal it amplifies your signal it repeats your signal whatever the hell i mean that's what they're doing they're designing these crazy intricate systems that 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 i, I agree with you i think there is it is worth getting a, a little yeah. annoyed uh, uh yeah about uh, uh without being pretentious i guess no you know? it's not about being pretentious yeah. it's a it's about uh dismissing an art form right without knowing what's going yeah, on yeah exactly uh, uh i like if if there's something that i don't understand i don't just wipe it away as if it it's meaningless yeah. if i don't understand what's going on behind it uh, how they're making those noises or how they're accomplishing that. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, it's not like people look at these new, the, like the new digital blockbusters that Hollywood is making and be like, uh, uh, this doesn't matter. I mean, who cares? They're just drawing shit on a computer. Yeah. They, like people respect it. Yeah. I don't understand why, like why you, you would hear what they're doing and say like, uh, this isn't worth respecting because they're just pushing buttons. Uh, I like this last line from this this magazine article. The combination of these instruments produces a raw, even anarchic uh, sound uh, in the musical construction of the Daft Punk show, which is displeasing to neither group nor, as it seems, to their audience. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What, <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, it, this, this, not displeasing. <laughs> It's, it's displeasing good. to neither, it's a, you know. It's I mean, displeasing to neither them nor no one else. <laughs> what? <laughs> Too many negatives there. French magazine. <laughs> French magazine. Uh, I found a bootleg of one of Daft Punk's earliest live performances. It's a short set from the 96 Tribal Gathering. And I thought it'd be fun to go through a few snippets uh, here uh, to hear how, they're, uh, how they were interpreting their own music at the beginning of this and how much fuller it gets by the end of this tour uh, when we get into a live 97. Uh, so this is tribal gathering. And as we learned last week, uh, uh, their traditional opener was Defenderect. Uh, so this is the very beginning. Tribal gathering, we'd like to introduce you all the way from Paris. Off the Somar record stable. Show your appreciation for the Dark Punk crew in the house. <laughs> So I, just, I just wanted to hear how it started. Yeah. It's because yeah. it's just straight up defunct yeah. or Defenderect, just right into it. Uh, uh, we will hear once we get to a live 97. That's not the case. Nope. They, uh, um, they have a bunch of stuff going on at the beginning of that. Um, uh, so yeah, pretty standard. Uh, they, uh, they do go into a serious groove with Defenderect, uh, and it really picks up, uh, when they start laying defunct over it, uh, which again, will these two songs, are going to be paired for the rest of their live playing career. (laughs) 
A lot of good stuff there. A lot of good stuff. Um, but yeah, as we get into it, uh, I like they they get better at doing this specific yeah. building building stuff off these two specific songs to start their set. They get so much. They get just better and better at it. It's great. Yeah. So uh, this is a full decade before the pyramid. Uh, um, but it really like it does uh, in a lot of ways. It sounds like exactly what they do with these two songs. Uh, a decade from now, it's just yeah. I think there's it's not quite as full. There's not quite as much happening. I just it feels like these two songs are songs built for the way that they they use them forever. You know, like just like you said, like they're not gonna change yeah. these two songs because they they were made for this. Yeah, uh, they they were not part of a conceptual album piece or whatever the hell. You know, they were literally made to do exactly what they do for the rest of their career with them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, rolling and scratching, like we've mentioned is just a centerpiece to any live performance. They're going to give at this point because it's scientifically designed to make people go insane. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So they, they, we're right in the thick of it here. This is only like a 20 minute set. So right. they're, they, then the first eight minutes are them weaving Defender Act and Def, Defunk in together. Yeah. They know exactly what they want to do right off the bat. Like, but I thought this would be an, I, th- I thought this would be an interesting clip here to show in like 2021, specifically because uh, I, I showed it right at the tail beginning of that. Um, that That's not a phrase. Tail beginning. Tail beginning. Yeah. <laughs> you got the tail end of something. I, I wanted to show so right at the mouth the beginning the of the, I wanted to show right at the mouth beginning of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Where uh uh like what happened on the other side of a fever pitch. All right. So like I miss structure or sets being structured like this. I don't wanna sound like the grizzled old raver that I am. And truly I like a drop as much as the next fella, but I would love to see this kind of layered tension of release make a uh, return. Like not everything needs to be a big break. You can reach a fe- fevered pitch and then subtly switch gears as you release tension without losing energy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they, they hit that, uh, that, that screeching craziness and then it dropped away without losing energy. Like, and then they just built it back up again. That yeah. is, that's like masterful. Yeah. Thing. Masterful. Uh, yeah, there, I got another another clip from Rolling and Scratching around this time. It's it's yeah, crazy. What what I love about that Tension part specifically. What I love about that part is you literally hear the bah, 
banana, just just go up so high that it literally gets out of the frequencies yeah. you can hear. And what you don't realize that because you're so focused on that high pitched screeching that you don't hear that booming bass coming in in the in the in the in between. And then it's so crazy to me that moment where he takes it out of the hearable registry, and then what's left is the booming yeah. bass that was only the space between before. It is. I, I'm telling you, it is one of my favorite. Is that what moments. that Dave Matthews song is about? Yeah, it's the space, space between. between. Okay, okay. It's because you're. I was trying to figure yeah, out yeah, what yeah. that song the was about. The space between the the the. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The, uh, but but it's one of the. I think it's 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 the ultimate form of relief is this part of the song where the tension is so unbearable that you don't realize the relief is already there until the tension is out of your registry. You know, and the intention and release is to play the most annoying noise in the world and then stop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, like that this music is it, like uh, also I, I, again, I understand people that this is not for because I, there are million tens hundreds of millions of people whose brains are not wired to want to feel like ah you know, like this music yeah. is meant to make you feel like ah I mean, it, and it, then it, and then it's supposed to release that so you're like you're like ah like that's what this music But this is not music you can sit there and it's and meant to, I mean it's you cannot like, sit there grumpily staring at your shoes and enjoy this you can't you need to move yeah. with it and then you <laughs> need to happened? want the release and when you get it you need to fucking celebrate like, it really and, funny and that, that's what it can do that funny study you found that was like like stu study shows that techno is the is the most stressful music in the world or like worst music to de-stress to it's yeah. like yeah no shit it's like scientifically engineered to like it's stress the sound you of stress it's yeah. supposed it's supposed to like work you up and up then, until it doesn't yeah and, and then that that breaking point is when your body like it, they release you and it, it breaks like open. cigarettes the only relief is a cigarette <laughs> <laughs> It's supposed to work you up into a tizzy and then bring you back to reality. But it's not like we don't get that in other genres, and that's the the, the, the reason I think that that you know electronic like music this. is, but you it's built it like around this. it. But I think that the idea of of you know you have you know you you throw in the off the off key tension building chords in a chord progression so that the return to the root chords in a rock song uh, are the relief. I mean, music that we listen to, whether it's electronic or rock or whatever the hell it is built in some way around tension building and, and, yeah. and, and relief like that. That's what it is. Uh, last thing I wanted to re uh, to visit from this set specifically is them playing alive. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to show them building into the song and then hear them coming out of the song because it's really, really interesting to me. Uh, so this is them building into Alive here. It just it comes in so subtly, and then all of a sudden you're like in it. It's so great. Yeah, uh, they're so good at that effect that it, it like sounds like the the sound is like the song is coming up from beneath the floorboards. You know what I mean? Like the the way that they bring that in sounds like it's coming up from underneath you to take you over. Uh, I also I also love that clip because 
uh, you can hear the whistles and vuvuzelas. <laughs> like, like yeah. just like there's some rave dudes that are like, I, you know what, will make this better if I blow on this big horn while the music is a little bit quieter. That's like just a rave guy that will we're, always be there. We're in that Facebook group for like rave flyers yeah. and memorabilia, and it's like you know we're talking about Daft Punk in '97, like Dreamscape and all these airplane hanger raves <laughs> are like '88, '89, '90, '91. Yeah. So like. People have already been doing all this annoying rave whistle like '80s ecstasy shit for so long. Yeah. I, I I I gotta be honest with you. the The whistle guy at a rave is one of my least favorite rave guys. That <laughs> like that that, that that has nothing to do with peace or love or unity or respect. No, like, you don't belong. This, the the thought process of, of being like, you know what is gonna make all this crazy sh- like all this sensory overload better if if I r- rail on this whistle for a long time. <laughs> I know that like everyone's taking stuff so that everything sounds good, but even when you're taking stuff so that everything sounds good, that still sounds bad. Yeah, <laughs> could you imagine somebody like somebody being like the biggest fan of Yo-Yo Ma and be like, I can help Yo-Yo Ma out by, by fan clacking, by fan clacking or whistle blowing in the middle of his set. <laughs> the fan clacking thing's crazy too. Yeah. Uh, all right, At least a fan, though, serves a theoretical purpose. A whistle yeah. does not serve uh, a theoretical the purpose. Cla- the fan clack doesn't bother me as much because when you got a, the rave guy walking past you and he clacks, he's going he's he's gonna gonna to give you a little you. blow. Yeah. Yeah. The whistle, he's going to clack and blow. He's the not whistle gonna... does not serve a, a yeah. theoretical purpose even, yeah. other than just to be obnoxious. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> here's, the, here's the end of Alive. This is great. Best part of that set. That's what that rocks. Best part of that set. I love that specifically because we've heard so many different ways from the DJ sets to their live stuff, how seamless they can go into stuff. Yeah. So when they, when they make something like that choppy, uh, or that jarring, it's intentional and it's awesome. And like, that's exactly how they wanted that to sound. They yeah. wanted it. They wanted it to be that jarring to like break, snap yeah. you out of it, to go back into another thing. It's that the same, like, I love it's that. It's that same idea of attention. It's just a different way. It's like, Oh, they made a mistake. I know they did. They'll get, the, Oh no, they did. Yeah, that yeah. That's what it is every time. And we hear it so often through these different, uh, you know, the way that they do, uh, transitions between songs it's it's so damn cool yeah so uh that was like one of the, i think that's one of their earliest like just full bore live rig setups yeah. uh you can already hear how rich and fully layered it is but by the time they play the q club in uh, q club in birmingham england in november 97 that sound that uh defined them uh in this era as a live act is fully formed because that show specifically is one of their favorite live performances of this era so much so that um they released a 45 minute expert or excerpt sorry uh, of this show and called it a live 97 uh the the actual set's like almost two hours long so uh there's a bunch of it we we haven't heard um they only released a snippet of it because of rights issues um there's a you know Around this time, they're gonna. They only have one album, so they're gonna play a bunch of other stuff and incorporate some of their heroes and things like that. So, 
They yeah. do a bunch of what I think is cool is like during their DJ sets, they are playing a bunch of other people's music, right? As DJs do. But in their sets for this tour, they do like four covers, which yeah. is crazy. Like yeah. it's one thing to play DJ's music. It's another thing to do synthesizer covers of tunes you like. They do a Todd Terry one. That's so others. cool. It's it's really nice. And there are I don't know that there's a full bootleg of this of the the Q Club show specifically, the one that becomes a Live ninety seven, but there are full rips of some of their live stuff. Yeah, yeah uh, listen, you can find the them. Rex Club is the one that I listened to today. It's a soundboard recording. It's got it's it's like an hour and a half. It's great. It's got a ton of stuff in it. It's it's a really cool recording from it's like six months before this show, so great. they still have a lot of figuring out. Uh, yeah, I yeah. So uh, uh, awesome. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of those out there. Uh, a live ninety seven was uh, originally an exclusive release for members of the online fan club, Daft Club. Uh, it got issued a release later. Um, right off the bat, their traditional opener uh, from the Defender Act into Defunct, it, it's been upgraded from the Tribal Gathering show we heard. Right, it's more. There's more energetic. Uh, there's uh, uh, than that uh, mix we just heard, and it also incor- incorporates elements of uh, Armand Van Helden's Defunct remix, Ten Minutes of Funk. So that whole that whole like first eight and a half minutes of this thing is just focused on though that groove and it it here this this version of it sounds great yeah uh, I it, like I said it's eight and a half minutes I I didn't clip anything from this from that specific part just because it's eight and a half minutes and you should just listen to the whole yeah, thing. yeah you should listen Armand to the whole Ben Heldon's chunk of that's incredible what yeah. a good yeah. remix yeah I mean it is uh it's 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 it is true. It's it's cool to hear the stuff leading up to this. Um, and again, we we together listened to this album, and yeah. we've independently listened to this album plenty of times. I, but to hear, I love that what, tribal gathering again, set. Yeah, right. It's, it's great. awesome. It's very cool to see how much each chunk of this got better as they right. continued to get better at the show. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. like this, a lot, a live ninety seven, the actual live album yeah. really shows that growth uh, if you if you look at where they came from and where they yeah, are I don't it's think, amazing like like listening to different bootlegs of alive 2007 like that was a show that they planned and they knew and yeah. they had in their bones and they wanted to yeah. play what they performed like this yeah. there's re- some improv yeah. in in this era it's, that it just doesn't it's, it's not going to be able to exist it's funny when we watch like the Lollapalooza version versus yeah. the vegas version and we're like oh my god there's a couple new different notes right yeah. there or whatever and it's like yeah that's cool to see or whatever for live 2007 because it yeah. is such a a show show whereas you know, live '97, a different night. You might get a a a, a just radically different show because again, there there they are. Uh, there's a lot more of the I think the DJ mentality uh, in in this era of Daft Punk compared to later, where they know the show they want to put on and they yeah. fucking do it. Um, um, which is better? Yeah, a live- uh, well, Alive 97 has gotten rave reviews across right. the internet. Sput- Sputnik Music calls it a mess listed and says, Alive 97 is an album you can truly appreciate yeah. and also flash your friends once in a while uh, on its sh- sheer brilliance. I do think... Uh, I do think it triumphs over the newer 2007 version 
for reasons too obvious to mention, which oh, you should have mentioned them, buddy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's I a bold that statement. Review. That's written by a user named Mr. Hell on Sputnik <laughs> Music. That's, okay, if you're gonna make a statement he like gave, that, you better point it a out. A 2011 Coldplay album, five out of five stars okay. over this. Okay, fuck Sputnik that, Music. That tells you all you need to know, <laughs> Mr. Hell. If you're listening, <laughs> Mr. Hell, Hell. If, Mr. Hell, if you're listening, I have a bone to pick with this specific sentence you wrote in one music review. A while ago, <laughs> I like read that review and I was like, I need to dig into yeah. this for a while. I wrote, this is almost too pu- absurd of a sentence to pull apart. <laughs> you know, there, there, I, I, I will agree. I will agree with um, a little bit of that review in that it's the the brilliance of this set, the brilliance of this live album really comes through at moments that that just blow well, my this, mind. This they, shows them. This shows them as. Live improvise, right. improvising electronic artists the way that the next yeah. tour doesn't. I mean, there's but the a, next tour shows them as cultivators of an energy unlike yeah. any, unlike anything, anything that's yeah. ever existed. And, I mean, I, I would say like there's a moment. I, I don't know if you may you maybe you talk about this in a little bit. Who knows? But there's a moment where they're mixing in traffic noises with songs at the beginning of of a live. Well, yeah, that, I mean that's just a, that's just samples from right. But yes, I'm yeah. just saying. But the way that they they still the way that they do. That and it does again. It's about I would say it's about the energy, right? It's about the energy. The traffic noises are still the, they they don't even in the moments where they're giving you a break. It's what you talk about. There's not really a break at all. I mean, the energy just keeps going so well that they, they they they. You don't have to. You don't, you what what current what a lot of current day electronic artists don't know is that you don't have to break you don't have to get to a point where it breaks completely right and it seems like that is built into what a set needs now in a way that is not true because daft punk shows like you can you can release tension into straight into something else energetically that that doesn't uh, decrease the vibe in the room at all i just think that like to, to talk like the the traffic. I'm gonna bring up the traffic again, right? I feel like a lesser group would skip their moment, whether it's from the song or not. I feel like they they highlight moments like that in this set, and they let those moments happen and 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 create a different type of tension, a different type of energy that I feel like a, a lot of people would jump between their like highlight moments you know what i mean does that does that make sense as yeah. a point it doesn't feel like they do that it feels like what they do is they craft this living breathing masterpiece in front of you that is very familiar but also very unfamiliar right which like again they do that in a very different way uh 10 years later mm-hmm. in a different way they they create something much more organic and alive in 2007 but but it doesn't feel as improvised in this in a live I would, I would argue that it, uh, the opposite. Yeah, that th- this is th- this is completely what we're hearing now is them building everything, and it changes night to night. Right. What like this is com- this is this is them tootling around. That's what I'm saying. I agree with you. That's I I'm, 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 I, I, I meant th- yeah. Ninety seven feels like the improvised yeah. version. 2007 they, they both feel very alive like a very new life onto their songs but 97 feels like an improvised new yeah, life because it is and and in 2007 feels like again it's yeah. new life by way of knowing exactly what new life you want to create I, I like i love uh, you know 97 and i love that they bring the hardware on the road and yeah. stuff 
And I think that Alive 2007 sets this precedent for the way you do big live electronic sets with all these loops and stuff. And it was really innovative when they did it. I think a lot of people in emulating them have done too perfect of of sets and loops and yeah. plans. Um, well, but on they, the other end of this, they, I also don't want to see like I I love Daft Punk in this era. I'm for the most part do not want to see people noodle around with synthesizers right. on stage. <laughs> right, like just the, making like, beeps and bloops and twisting knobs is great. But I've seen a lot of that. Right, it's very right. hard. You know, right. they do some really yeah. cool stuff. There with are it. there are certain groups like them or. Sibi Mobile Disco, yeah. who can absolutely do that and make yeah. something incredible. But you're right; like a lot of people just don't I have never, the I, like, technological know-how. As soon as I see know-how. someone with this shit on stage now, oftentimes <laughs> I'm like, they just don't. Know I can't be in the room. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's it's a melodic. Yeah. Sometimes these guys have hit pop songs, and it's like on. you know, if they you're, yeah, exactly. If you're, like it takes it takes a lot. Maybe that's why so few people do it. Like yeah, this takes, it a, takes lot. a lot to make beautiful hip hop songs. It takes a fucking lot to be able to do this in the way they're and doing it. And the other thing that yeah. you don't take into account very often that like again us with our uh, involvement at at an, a, a a venue, a uh, performing arts venue or whatever, what that we know is that even if they show up with perfect conditions with all their noodling, you need to be able to count on a a a, a control, you know, a, yeah. that that oh. that a certain level of standard between venues, which does not exist. Yeah. It does not exist unless you're talking like top of the line, top tier venue. You know, you're going to a, a yeah, it's a legendary bowling alley or whatever the fuck it is. But like the 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 balls it takes to just have faith in whoever is planning your dates and talking to venues and understanding what you're going into with this amount of, I bet that's why some of them. Yeah. yeah I bet it is yeah, really. They just don't have the, yeah. Uh, all right. So let's get, uh, so instead of going through, there's no track by track really right. here. Uh, we all just pick some of our favorite points of this. Uh, um, so Darren, yeah. you picked the earliest. It's one. funny. Cause I did exactly what, what we've already done a couple times, which yeah. is, uh, I, 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 I I love rolling and scratching in that yeah, Daft Punk live. Hear, um, so yeah. I picked two timestamps on here. One is the moment at which we start hearing rolling and scratching come in, which is what we'll which, what we'll play first. And then after that. I, um, Do you think that's the rolling or the scratching? <laughs> I would call rolling. that the rolling. That's I think the, the scratching fact, this, is what we're going to hear next. This, so, this is the scratching. This is, uh, this is six minutes later yeah. or five minutes later. So that is like the epitome of going insane right, yeah. right there. So I, I actually that this is interesting because mine mine here is just a, uh, a little bit kicking the can down the road here a little bit. And that that um, audio or that um, that um, uh, voice sample yeah. that they use there. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what that is, either. but they they continue to warp that yep. uh, over the next couple minutes. And th- this is what ends up happening to it. And I just can't get it out of my brain. So they chop it. They chop like they live chop it down to this little bit. Listen to this. Listen to how they flip this voice live. 
Yeah, they do. They they break it all the way back down and bring it back into that. Oh, that just like that sticks yeah. into my brain. It's it, like it's 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 this is one of those ones again that I'm I'm, I'm going to keep saying this it is very difficult to just be like, hey, pick a timestamp. But this is a good part of this. <laughs> this it, you got it's it's a 40, what, 45 minutes, 30 yeah. second long one track. Yeah. Um, it, it isn't like uh, the, the live 2007 album uh, where, you know, you have different track lists and whatever. You know, this is is this is uh, uh, yeah. something so else entirely. My my runner up, I was trying to figure out exactly where I was going to go. Yeah. And, but Devin, you you yeah, went where we I was going the next. Same, the same chunk. So, of these, that. so the, again, this is a, a situation where these these. Um, uh, like jangly noises, they start almost three minutes earlier than this, yeah. and I wanted to, I wanted to show how it builds up because it's just this like faint jangle that kind of adds something to the background of the music for so long, and and you just it just becomes part of like the vibe, and then at cer a certain point it takes over. It is so it's so cool to listen this to, stuff, but you'll hear the this, jangle. This this and a lot of this uh, live ninety seven feels more like techno than house. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. that like when you let those things ride over each other for like three or four minutes yeah. instead of these little one minute transitions, it feels more like a techno set. And it's, I, I just love it. Yeah. yeah. They kick it back down. Man. That rock. Yeah, that rocks. What a good beep and boop. Yeah, this like so this is like so you can hear like this is this is like minutes before that. And that jangle is just like kind of coming in and just noodling around and then to hear what they make it. It's just it's just incredible. Yeah. And that's all just them like fucking tooling around and doing sh crazy shit on Ah, that rocks. Yeah, very um, cool. But yeah, this whole thing uh I mean, this whole era of them playing live, we, you know, it, it is incredible, and it's it's unlike what we'll see them do in the future. Like, like I said, they keep reinventing themselves, and they keep doing cool stuff. This is what they wanted to do at this point. This is what they wanted to be good at. This is what they saw people doing in clubs, and they said, "We want to, we want to do that." And they found their own way to do it, and became the best at this. And then they moved on to something else, and they became the best at something else. Uh, uh, that, but that pretty much does it. Um, you know, I was 10 years old at this point, so I, I, I didn't get a chance to see them play a lot yeah. alive like this. Uh, uh, but it, it, it's so awesome to see, to just to touch back and see what they were doing here and, and listen to, uh, uh, you know, I like the, their DJ sets from around this time. I, they I had never, never really heard it. Do they? I don't know that they ever did. I don't think they do. Uh, I don't That's think, crazy. yeah. 
They love Chicago. Man, that's okay. You can only like one of, you can only like one or the other. Yeah, the lesser Detroit. <laughs> the le- yeah, they only like the lesser Detroit. Uh, but that yeah, that pretty much does it for this week, boys. No offense if you live in Chicago. I'm just kidding. No <laughs> offense, offense. We, 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 <laughs> you're the lesser Detroit. <laughs> Detroit, Detroit has gotten shit on for too long for us to apologize to Chicago for anything. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, we are. As we're going on this journey, we want to um, uh, introduce you to new beeps and boops if we can. So uh, every episode, we're going to let you know something that we're obsessed with uh, uh, dance music-wise that's not Daft Punk. Uh, it might be something new. It might be something old. It might be something that we're rediscovering. Um, but, uh, Darren, what, what's yours this week? Mine this week, we're going back to we're going back to Dirty Bird. Uh, we're going back to some deep house. Uh, I picked uh, Walker and Royce. Uh, take me to your leader. Take me to your leader. I'm a alien. I just see the stars. Where we Walker and Wright, they're just all around oh, yeah. just groovy. They are so groovy. And, and like, if you had to choose one, Walker or Wright. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Don't make me do no, it. I'm just kidding. It's a real uh, choice. I, yeah, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, that's just that no song. That song, I will. Uh, I, I just, I, I'll groove that song anytime, any day, any mood. It's just, it's just such a fun. And, and if you want to watch a fun, weird space, weird music video, yeah. that's got a fun video as well. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. I, I, I dig Walk and Rice. I, I dig generally Dirty Bird yeah. in general. So generally Dirty uh, Bird. Claude, and, Claude Von Stroke created Dirty Bird like 15 years ago, uh, as almost as like a counterpoint to the way that house music was being created at yeah. that point. And he, he is, he has cultivated a sound and a brand for his, for his label that is so quintessentially it. Yeah. Like you hear a dirty bird right. track anywhere, you know, it's dirty bird. Even if it's you don't silly, it's fun. It's, and it's so it's fucking bassy. Yeah. Like they, like they have cultivated a bass sound, like a, like a, like I mean, it's guttural like, bass it, noise yeah. that that you you can identify a Dirty Bird track just by that yeah. bass noise that uh, 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 yeah so I love I, and and it it is transformed from this like esoteric weird thing uh, on the side of the house music scene to a fucking powerhouse yeah. undeniable uh, force in the yeah, industry. It's true. Uh, just because they, they know what they are and they do what they like. And it, and it, it is cultivated. This you're going to, you're going to keep, you're going to keep getting uh, yeah. dirty bird recommendations for me. Probably, <laughs> probably I, about every other one. Um, so, you know, we're, we're kind of transitioning out of this era of Daft Punk and, and, going back and revisiting not only revisiting all of their early work but just learning more about them as early musicians i've kind of just been obsessed with what they were listening to at this time i've yeah. been li- going back and listening to a lot of old stuff and this this is uh, Ar- armand I, I don't know if i ever truly appreciated how much of an influence armand van helden was on these guys until putting the research together for yeah. the show. And I cannot get this track out of my brain. It's You Don't Know Me by Armand Van Helden. It's a classic. I'm tired and I had enough. 
strings like strings in house music need to make a comeback. Oh yeah. Cuz like it was such a big part of this sound back in the day and it do- it doesn't really happen as much anymore like though that when that string slides into this track I I just it's undeniably awesome. What a good one. Good one. It's and then one. yeah, I picked uh, a newer one from a couple years ago. It's um a Rosa uh Anschutz song and it's a Cobasel remix of it. It's just really dark pulsating scary. Berlin techno. It's like scary. It, it rips, man. If you want to hear industrial techno, this is how this song opens. (laughs) That's just like, I've been to parties where this is the only music happening. It's just this part. And I'm like, I love it. Yeah. What a a bleak wake up. Like the lyrics are just like, wake up feeling bleak and (laughs) pressure in your body and accelerating without tension. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, All right. Hell yeah. yeah. Fuck it up. That's Rigid by Cobasil, 44 Rush B-Mix. Yeah, uh, awesome. That's another episode of this shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to do uh, we're gonna do a solo projects episode next week. I'm incredibly excited for that. that. I'm, I, I, am, I am on some, uh, some other with their, yeah, their solo stuff. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm interested to see, see what I come up with because, like, is, uh, these guys don't talk very much. Um, but because, and when they do, be, it's in French. And when they do, it's in French. Uh, and they – they talk way more about Daft Punk because it's one of the most influential yeah. dance acts of all time than they've done about their uh, solo projects. So uh, we'll see what kind of stuff we'll I, I uncover in the next week. We'll yeah. see. You guys can help us out if you want. You can send us some stuff. Yeah, send us you, some stuff, some you, stories, some opinions, some you facts. Know, if you have swag. seen, read anything or heard stories about them in in the uh, Tomas with Together or DJ Falcon or or his Roulette stuff or Guiman with his Crydemore stuff or Lynette Club. If you know, yeah, tips and tr- or like, you know, uh, stories or things from them doing those projects, email them to info at alive2021.com yeah. uh, because I would love to include them in next week. Uh, also, if you uh, heard anything that you want to correct uh, um, that I got wrong, send them over there. I'll, I'll read them. Or if you just want to send us nice little well wishes, um, uh, I'll read those too at the beginning. I, we love hearing from fans because the show is growing and it's awesome that people are, are listening and sharing our love of these two little French robots. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Andy at, uh, at DR good tweets, Dr. Good tweets on Twitter. Uh, I'm Devin at, uh, Devin Rose nine D E V I N R O S N I. I am at the most Darren on just about everything. T H E M O S T D A R R E N. And you can catch me on uh, Facebook gaming, uh, every day at DSG gaming. Uh, if you want to see some video game content. And I think that's it. That's it. We'll see you next week. In my opinion. Bye. We love you. And I'm in love with you. Hello, everyone. Alive 2021 is a member of the Planet Ant Podcast Network and was created by Andy Reid, developed by Andy Reid, Devin Rosenai, and Darren Shelton, with technical production by Darren Shelton. For more information, please visit Alive2021.com.